0: and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, finding fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility, but what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family. Just by being here with me, listening to this podcast, you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true. Let's do this together happy Friday all welcome back to another episode of finding fertility today we have a very special guest on it is Carrie from blooming with care over on Instagram as you are going to be able to tell in this episode Carrie and I have been following each other for a while following all the ups and downs and Carrie's story is just truly inspirational and I love how she has conquered some Really big hurdles during her journey. So, without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back to the Finding Fertility Podcast. We are here today with Carrie, and she is coming on to share her amazing journey and her own personal path to parenthood. Welcome so much to the podcast, Carrie.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so we met through Instagram, (laughs) like most people do these day and age. (laughs) And I've been following your story for a while now. And yeah, I have watched you highs and lows. So let's go back to the beginning of your trying to conceive journey, if you can tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, so my husband and I got married in 2014 and we started trying right away. We tried happily, I will say probably for about a year and then it became, I mean, we were happy together as a couple, but sex became prescribed and timed and it took a lot of the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, we tra- so we tried naturally for four years. It took me a long time to, I think, admit that there was something that needed to be addressed And I really had a hard time seeing friends and family become pregnant and kept on the hope train that it would just happen for us, but we needed science. So we finally, four years in, we went to a fertility specialist in Northern California and my husband has a low sperm count. So we became great candidates for IVF. We did our first transfer. I became pregnant and then had a miscarriage. And then we did our second transfer which is where I carried Clementine for eight months, but developed a rare liver pregnancy disease, and we delivered her stillborn in May 2019.
0: Yeah, it's quite a journey and a heartbreaking one for anyone who has experienced a loss at any stage of pregnancy or even after pregnancy. There's not really many words to describe it, especially after infertility. Yes. And
1: that's what I think about how, you know, I I remember when we first started IVF, we were hopeful, but I remember people saying, you know, like, oh, we're so excited for you. And we weren't very excited to be doing IVF because we didn't want it to have to go that far, but obviously we were in it to win it. And it still was really difficult. And then being pregnant after a miscarriage was very difficult for me. And then losing Clementine, you know, turned our world upside down. And I was told that I should probably not be pregnant again, because it will, it would most likely happen again, the cholestasis of pregnancy, which was the disease that I had. And honestly, when the doctor said that I felt, I felt almost a relief because I know that my headspace would have been a challenge for me to be carrying another baby.
0: Yeah, 100%. I talk a lot about how mental health is so (laughs) important. And when you're dealing with infertility, how working on your mental health is really gearing you up to handle pregnancy. We all try to strive to get those two pink lines and no one ever really talks about what happens after those two pink Mm -hmm. lines because you think it's just going to be magical and that's it. You're going to have a baby, end of story. And it took me over six years to see two pink lines, two Mm -hmm. failed IVFs, a lot of like not knowing why what our issues were and no one ever talked about okay when you see those two pink lines you are gonna freak the fuck out for the next eight months <laughs> and I think
1: when we became pregnant with Clementine at the fertility clinic they you know like you graduate and you don't mm-hmm. come back to the clinic anymore you get your own doctor yeah. I remember that day that we left I was like I am not prepared for this like there is so I remember like they kind of almost had to like escort us out because I just kind of stood there like I'm not we're not done, like
0: <laughs> Yeah. I yeah, a hundred percent. A
1: lot of that mental you're right, like you said, like the mental health comes in so much for that. And and you know, I have been working on my mental health, gosh, really since probably about two years into trying for a baby because I became depressed and anxious just trying to where I, I sort of lost a lot of goodness in my heart. I became very bitter and angry and I didn't want to live that way. So I really strived to, you know, just kind of flip that switch. And I mean, I say like a switch, it is an ongoing lifelong
0: experience. <laughs> it's, but it's like pushing a boulder <laughs> up a <the> hill. <laughs>
1: right, right. But yeah. I had to kind of get to this really dark space in my life to, I don't know, need, I guess, help because I hadn't really dealt with anything this difficult in my life until trying for a family. And I saw it really start to impact my relationships with my career, my husband, my friends. And I didn't, I didn't like the version of myself. And the beautiful thing about being human is like, we can change that. We can alter that and work on that.
0: And uh, I was able to do that. And like you say, it's not until you are in like a really deep pit of darkness Mm -hmm. that you look around and go, whoa, whoa. Because mm-hmm. I think the fact of the matter is, is that we all had a bunch of bullshit in our lives before yes. and we didn't really take care of it. We didn't really notice it. We just like kind of mm-hmm. go on with life. And then when infertility hits, like it's like a sandbag comes down on you and yes. exposes like everything. It and- really
1: amplifies a lot of things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast obviously have come to a space to right. get that support of like, okay, I'm feeling that now. How do I get out? <laughs> right. <laughs> where's, right. Where's my, yeah.
1: And I, because I remember like I had some really good friends in my life that, well, I thought they were good friends, but I feel like with infertility, it really kind of exposed a lot more. I think I needed more in life and I had never really done that. I didn't even know how to give it to myself and mm-hmm. exposed a lot of situations and relationships to where I didn't feel like they were, I mean, they weren't healthy for me, but at the time I didn't, I wasn't struggling. So it was fine. I could deal with it. And then when infertility came in, it was like, oh, I, I don't have the capabilities to kind of be there for somebody who isn't really there for me. And that showed up in a lot of ways and really kind of made me like, you know, really assess who was in my life, who I allowed in my life, who brought and lifted me up. And I mean, for the better, but it took it took a while to get there.
0: Yeah, 100% because no one likes change. <laughs> so, you know, even yourself, your ego is sitting there going like, ah, ah, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. When you're ready to just release the bitterness, release mm. the pain, release the anger, it's a very scary place. And you're, it's like you say, it's not easy. And you have to just recommit day after day after day. And then there's a lot of time, you know, um, when you're dealing with infertility, you think your friends don't understand and they don't like, they don't understand, but you don't think your friends are there. But the reality is, is that it just is highlighting that relationship wasn't actually very purposeful in the beginning. You know, that's hard to deal with.
1: I feel Mm -hmm. like I, I often think about like, I grew up really looking at like romantic relationships in my life and how to nurture or let go of those, but I was not really taught how to do that with friendships. And that was really difficult for me because infertility brought a lot of issues on with that. And, and then I had to really work on myself, which, I mean, I was at a point where, you know, I was drinking and doing drugs and just not healthy. And I started to feel it Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I I need to look at this. And I, I started really working on myself. And then even in working on myself, it created more of a distance between people, kind of Like you said, of like those relationships weren't really the best to begin with. But when I started taking care of myself, I felt like it made a lot of other people uncomfortable, probably because they were abusing boundaries that I was starting to put up and it was, you know, showing up in their life. And that was also a weird shift for me of like, okay, no, I am feeling well, but now I have to like make new friends, which was weird. But I mean, not all friends, obviously, but, you know, it really highlighted some of those uh, relationships that just weren't as supportive as I had envisioned
0: Yeah, and you kind of become in the beginning. Well, I know I did. Kind of, I'm thinking that I'm better than them, Mm -hmm. which it's not. It's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, I need to change because I'm not going to be like you. I can't drink, do drugs, and eat a normal diet and get pregnant. That wasn't me. That you know, I had to change Mm -hmm. to get what is so easily given to other people. They kind of looked at that like, oh, well, you think you're better now because you changed your diet. I'm like, no, I just have to change my diet. like, trust me, it's not fun. It's not something I would have chosen.
1: don't want to be partying all the time, but like, apparently this is not my path. And, And I remember I had some friends say, well, I know I should be doing what you're doing. And it was like, I never, I'm never, I'm not trying to say that you should be. I'm just saying, I can't come hang out because I have to go do this. Or like, I got very into acupuncture and meditation and I had to rearrange my schedules to fit those things in. And
0: it, Altered some things. A hundred percent. You know, when I'm finding now when I try to reconnect with some of those old friends you don't have much to talk about, you know? Oh my gosh. It's so real. That's so real. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're just sitting there going like, okay, well, I, I'm really trying to remove myself from the gossip. I'm really trying Mm to, you know, talk about things that are elevating me, which usually includes diet, lifestyle, Mm -hmm. meditation, yoga, those things. And okay. What's the weather like? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yes, I have definitely felt that. But also on the flip side of that, I have now new amazing relationships in my life because of the new ways that I am living. And I remember trying to, one of my current best friends, I remember trying to, like, I wanted to hang out with her, but I felt like it was like dating. Like I had to like (laughs) like, call her because we hung out in groups, but I was like, I kind of want to hang out with her by ourselves. Like, I feel like we're on the same page and I felt like I was dating and it was so nerve wracking, but you know, she was like, oh my God, yes, I'd love to, you know, I do yoga and oh, this is the app I use to meditate. And have you seen this gratitude? journal and it was like oh, I knew you were a person for me but I do, you know it's scary it's vulnerable you have to put yourself out there and be like do you want to hang out with just me <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: right? yeah and I'm finding it really hard to make those connections because I do feel like they're far and few between and you hold mm-hmm. on to that person when you find mm-hmm. them or that community when you find it because yeah it's, and it's I think a big part big of one.
1: what i have too is like when i do because i have put myself out there obviously with more than one person but a lot of times when they, you know they show up and like for example there was this yoga teacher that i was so excited to be friends with and then when i went out to dinner with her it was so negative to like as she was speaking like I thought like, oh my God, I had this perception of you. Mm. And uh, that's me assuming, absolutely. I was absolutely came into this with an assumption. And it was so negative to where I left. I had to be like, I can't, I, you know, I can't do this, my time's too precious. I mean, obviously I finished dinner, but like it became very clear that this was not going to be my person. And I had to be like, okay, I had a an idea of what you were. And just because you're a yoga teacher does not mean that you're going to be my person. Yeah. And, but I've also become very clear with, who I want to surround myself with. And, you know, like, I remember my husband picked me up from dinner and he was like, that wasn't really dinner. And I was like, she's not my person. Like, I just, I could feel it. And I don't really want to waste my time.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you do. And I, I don't even know if it's like a a spiritual thing. It's almost like an age thing too, where you're like, man, Uh I've got, (laughs) I've got how many years left? Who do I want to spend it with? (laughs)
1: absolutely yeah and I again attribute a lot of that to like being okay and working on myself and I mean it's a constant trying new things seeing what works for you and yeah and then I also when we lost Clementine I felt like that also really highlighted a lot of relationships of like you know like I had some really good friends but like I don't know what to say I didn't show up and I was like you know you just have to say I'm sorry and kind of talking through them through that but also putting in that effort with those friendships of like This is what I need from you. But I was in a much better space to be able to say that, you know, like to know what I needed and give what I could give and take what I could take.
0: So that's getting back to the mindset and working on yourself, you know, before the miscarriage, did you start working on your mindset before the miscarriage? Yes. Yes. With hindsight, how do you think that benefited the rest of your journey to where you are now?
1: That's a good question because I feel like with my miscarriage, um, when we first found out that we were pregnant. It was like, of course we're pregnant. We did IVF. Like that's the next step. And then when we found out we were uh, going to have a miscarriage, I was very like in a determined state. You know, it was like, I have all these tools. I've been meditating. I work out. I'm eating well. So I'll be fine. And then it was about two weeks after I had had my miscarriage that I lost it. And it became clear that just because i had all these things set in place does not mean that i'm still going to like fall down mm-hmm. and i remember kind of being shocked about that of being like no 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 like i do hot yoga 3 times a week and i meditate every day and like i have all of these tools already in place why am i still sad and i had to really be like okay i need i need to be sad i need to i need to let myself feel this and it's okay that Even though I am doing all of these things to make me feel well, I still have to allow whatever feelings come up and not kind of shove them away.
0: Yes. Do you think that mindset practice allowed you to know that as well, though?
1: Yeah, yes. It took, it definitely took a minute, though. Like, because I kind of was in the mindset of, oh, this won't happen. Like, I'm going to be fine. I remember crying at work. I was a teacher at the time, and I was crying to my boss, which... Oh, I love my boss so much. He was so wonderful. And he, I remember sitting in his office being like, this isn't normal for me to be crying like this to you. And he was like, it's absolutely not, but you need to do something like what's happening. And I remember thinking like, okay, the fact that this is happening, I need to take a step back and really evaluate what's going on. And I think in the past, if I maybe had not like put in place a lot of you know, mental health tools, I probably would have just shoved it down and been like, I'll just keep teaching, it's fine. I'll just keep going. But I just remember looking at like sitting across my boss and him like being extremely uncomfortable that I was crying in front of him, but also very kind. But I remember thinking like, okay, I need to evaluate what is happening right now
0: because this isn't
1: normal behavior
0: for me. Yeah, I think that's the thing is, so my first pregnancy was my first miscarriage as well. And mm-hmm. I had a missed miscarriage. So, you know, went in for the heartbeat scan, no heartbeat. And at that time I was like at my peak of my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't allow myself to fully break down just like you for a really long time. I think it just highlights even though you have those tools, there's still not a lot out there. I think there's getting more or maybe I'm just seeing it now. It's like, okay, here's all the tools to meditate to be happy and all that. But doing the actual inner work of I think because a lot of us got brought up to repress our emotions especially women right Mm -hmm. like you're weak if you cry like Mm -hmm. I was told Wendy the whiner wasn't invited you know as a child so it really highlighted like whoa that was like the hugest thing that happened to date in your life and you really didn't even take the time to grieve that Mm -hmm, loss mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think I was like you in the sense of like you know I've got my mental health practice I had hope back you know like that miscarriage that pregnancy miscarriage was very hopeful to me because for almost six years I thought I couldn't even get pregnant even with IVF but yeah, I didn't have the tools in place to allow myself to just grieve and be sad for that loss of that child.
1: And I had never really had major grief prior to that. So mm-hmm. I didn't know how to handle it. And I mean, I don't think many of us do. It's, it's, it's a privilege to not be dealing yeah. with grief, like as a child and things like that, you know, and I'm known as such like a determined and happy, positive person to where it was like, well, of course that's going to be my response. But in regards to that, it was almost like I was still shoving it down. And then it started to bubble up in weird ways and like in my boss's office. And it was like, well, like I'm too healthy to be doing this. Why is this happening this way?
0: Yeah, exactly. So moving forward, do you feel that when you recognize like, okay, I do need to grieve this this child was there steps that you took or any kind of like support that you can give anyone who has dealt with the miscarriage and is kind of relating to this of like yeah actually no i haven't sat down and really had a good cry or mm-hmm. journaled about it i wish i looking back i wish i
1: would have started going to a support group earlier i have now been in support groups for my, a long time but i that i feel like that would have been a really good helpful thing to me because connecting with other people about them knowing how or about having a miscarriage was a huge shift for me. Cause I, you know, but, and even on that, I want to also touch a point of the, like, I remember the doctor saying this is really normal. You know, it's very common, but that still didn't mean that, like, I was sad about it. Like I needed to find other people. And I talked to a lot of other women that had a miscarriage. And again, everybody was like, it's fine. You know, a lot of times your body's just preparing itself. And it was like, well, this still sucks. So I had to like, kind of, you know, figure out my own ways to heal. And I do a lot of journaling. And so that was a really big thing for me. And also I burn a lot of things. It's like a, a very important ceremony and ritual that I do in my life. And that it came up at that a lot of like, okay, I'm going to write to this baby and then kind of burn the letters just to literally see them disintegrate in front of me. Not that that took away any pain, but it just, it's like a physical shift. So sometimes it can help with my mental shifts, but I wish I would have found a support group because we just went right back into our next transfer and then I became pregnant again within two months. So there wasn't a a huge time frame for me to be super sad, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. hmm Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So my second miscarriage was after my son was born and I didn't grieve that one very well either. (laughs) I just kind of was like, okay, we're done because it was Mm -hmm. our last frozen embryos. Mm -hmm. And two months later I was pregnant naturally for the first time in eight years. And I just had this overwhelming like anger. Like I was Mm -hmm. really angry at a lot of things because Uh, You know, I spent eight years dealing with infertility, you know, Mm -hmm. two failed IVFs, two miscarriages, and not that it was easy to fix my autoimmune issue, Mm -hmm. but I had to fight so hard to figure it out for the first, you know, one Mm -hmm. and, you know, make all the changes seemingly on my own, even though I did have support here and there. But I was pissed that this information wasn't out there for women Ah. at that time you know, and it was funny to have all those mental, like, you know, practices and awareness to be like, wow, you're angry. Like you, you finally got what you wanted (laughs) and you're angry. Anger shows up. Yep. (laughs) She better work, you know? And then it was like, okay, let's get through this anger. Let's like explore it. Why, what can we do? And all that. But it was the weirdest emotion to feel. Yeah. Because as everyone knows, dealing with infertility and dealing with loss, that's the last emotion you think you're going to feel when you're pregnant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's so much more common than we think or talk about, because even when I was pregnant with Clementine, I wanted to like shout from the rooftops that I had, I had done IVF. Like this wasn't like an easy thing for me to get to this space. Mm -hmm. And I would throw it into conversations whenever I could just to be like, just so you know, like, this is where I'm coming from.
0: And (laughs) Like this wasn't easy. (laughs) Right. I find that too still now to this day is when like people look at me, I'm kind of like, No, this was really hard, right? (laughs) Like this is hard (laughs) and expensive.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Just just like this didn't really happen easily, you know, like I didn't just decide to get pregnant and I'm pregnant because
0: some people can do Um, that. And Yes, I know. I even find I um you know the distinct look. Uh, from a woman who's dealing with infertility when she looks at you and your children. And I've uh-huh. seen it several times and mm-hmm. I just want to turn around to her and go, girl, I feel you. I've been mm-hmm. there. You know, this wasn't easy for me But you know, obviously I wouldn't, <laughs> like, right. <you> don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a surreal, surreal emotions are so surreal. And like you say, it is a forever going, mm-hmm. consistent um, learning experience in your life. And, you know, I just did another podcast the other day, and we talked about the physical and the mental. So for me, obviously, I needed to change my diet to even make healthy embryos. Um, Mm -hmm. That's how sick, I didn't even know I was. If you looked at me, I was perfectly healthy, normal, didn't have any issues, but I was so sick that I wasn't even making good eggs, good egg quality. But the mental side comes in and I talk about how powerful the subconscious mind is. And I do believe that you can actually heal most things through just physical thoughts.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But we live on earth and you are human and you live in a crazy society so Mm -hmm. it's a very very hard thing to do because you would basically have to quit your job remove almost every negative aspect of your life so basically sitting on a hill like a buddhist monk and just you know being with yourself so that's where the diet piece comes in because you can Mm -hmm. Kind of speed up the process by eliminating those inflammations and all that type of stuff but your mindset is like you say you get to choose it mm-hmm.
1: and like that made me think of when like when we first lost clementine like that first few weeks i uh became very strict with my food except i did we did have a lot of cookies i will say that but for the most part <laughs> Um, we had a friend of ours had done a, like, like a meal train and most people had known that like, I eat pretty healthy. And so they showed up with really healthy food and I didn't drink at all for like two months. And the clarity that I had in my brain, and it was also, I know, you know, grief brain, but like, I felt very clear and precise with so many things like almost more than I ever have in my life Mm -hmm. and I I kind of did that on purpose because I wanted to I wanted to feel whatever came up and I didn't want to hide it with alcohol I didn't want to you know shove a, a ton of unhealthy food into my body to like make me feel different I was very clear that I wanted to feel everything that I could And in that regard, it was almost like I didn't, I mean, I cried quite a bit, but like I was much bubblier than I expected. I think I, I was able to see a lot more greatness in it than I expected. And I attribute a lot of that to, I mean, obviously having these mindset tools already set in place, but I think that the food was a big part of that for me. I was very strict with it and I felt almost like floaty-ish? I don't know how to explain it, but like in
0: a very healthy way. I mean, the gut microbiome is, you know, the science behind it now is (laughs) so strong. Not just like I got told it was made up science during my journey. You know, the gut brain connection is the real thing. When we do, you know, introduce foods that are inflammatory for us and especially alcohol, that just explodes your gut microbiome. And then it like you say, it just numbs you, it just makes everything worse. And I still to this day struggle with alcohol. And not that I'm like hiding a bottle of liquor under my bed. It's not like that type of struggle. But you know, I quit alcohol several times, like obviously during my pregnancies, Mm -hmm. I would go cold turkey three months before any transfer. And I, I, you would think like, Wow, okay, I've done this several times for really long periods. Why do I still get in these deep dark places where I reach for alcohol to escape it? Mhm.
1: Mhm. I have to say personally because I feel I feel that very similarly. But with this pandemic going on, cuz I feel like the majority of times I'm drinking is I'm out in the world like at a restaurant or at a bar with friends, and now that's not really happening. But like, I have cut back on my drinking almost like unintentionally, which has been a nice benefit to where I'm like, oh, this is just what happens at home now because I don't really drink at home. I do, but but not as much as I used to. And it's been kind of nice.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you finally get to that place of awareness and I, when people ask me for advice with that, I just say every night you go to bed, no matter if you've had a drink or not had a drink, you just tell Mm -hmm. yourself you're going to do better. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And you just keep. Telling your subconscious mind, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. And eventually you will get to a place like I'm, like, I'm just like you, a much better place with alcohol than I used to be. It used to be a drink every single night, you know, only like maybe three, but you add three Uh up over five nights, you're already at 14 units and then it's the Mm -hmm. weekend, and you ain't even counting your units. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, I'm a five foot five little girl, and (laughs) I'm having like, over 25 units in a week, like, no wonder I'm dealing with infertility. So I, I definitely think both for me is really important. What has been your biggest go to after the loss of Clementine? Like, what do you feel has really got you through this time?
1: I would definitely say meditation. I did it prior to Clementine pretty regularly, but I think I used it in the beginning, right when we lost her, to almost like take me to her. Like I felt to this day when I meditate, like she comes up a lot and I feel her with me Mm -hmm. and I almost became addicted to that. And it became like a good, I guess, addiction, if the right, that's the right word for me to do, to be like, I need to go sit for like 20, 30 minutes and kind of just be with myself. And in return, she would, she showed up with that. And I noticed a lot because since I've lost Clementine, I've almost meditated almost every day, which is like a big, that's a big deal for me. I usually would do like three to five times a week, but now if I miss a day, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the flow of things off for me. And meditation has just, it's completely changed my life. I I crave it when I don't have it. A lot of times before like I make a big decision or a big venture or something happens, I will meditate. And it really helps me get in tune with my intuition and my gut. And I have always, I always used to say that my gut has always been very loud Mm -hmm. and I didn't always listen to it and it would always be right. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that feeling or that thought that I had. And I totally was like, no, I'm not listening to you right now. And it usually did not turn up well, but now it's such a guiding light and source for me that it was a big part of a reason why I quit teaching because I knew that it was very stressful for me. And I wanted to transition into life coaching women that are dealing with fertility and just kind of surround myself with like-minded people in that way. And it has brought me so much greatness. So really, really trusting your gut and the way that I have done that is connection with uh, meditation for sure.
0: It's so powerful and there's so many different ways to do meditation. So (laughs) it's really about exploring what works for you because not all (laughs) of us can sit on a pillow (laughs) like in the beginning. So there's lots of different ways, but yeah, I definitely agree. I'm the same way. Like I can really feel it in my life like there's been periods even the, even during the pandemic where I've, I've lost you know that time and connecting mm-hmm. and I like mm-hmm. I feel it in my hips I feel yeah. it like oh, in my my gut I feel it yeah. everywhere in my body it's not just a mental practice
1: I like how you said there's a lot of different ways to do it because I do think a lot of people are very intimidated by it. I was when I first started it was like, Oh gosh, I'm just gonna sit here and be quiet, whatever. And mm. now, you know, I I do it lying down, which I always feel like I'm being sneaky when I'm doing it. Cause it's like, <laughs> I was guided apps so and like, you know, sit up straight. And I'm like, I'm on the floor, but it's what feels best for me.
0: And I, I think
1: you have to find
0: what works for you and you got to just keep doing it even when it's painful. Yes. I think yep. yoga yoga was my introduction to like slowing down and I just remember the first mm-hmm. almost year of yoga was painful for me because most of us are type A and we're like, "Oh my god, we're not doing anything. That means we're not achieving. This sucks." Oh my. And then like your brain yep. is just wired to like talk shit to mm-hmm. you all the time. And then ah. you're making up stories that aren't even like real and you're like, <laughs> so yeah I would that would be my best advice is just keep going every day do something and eventually it's just like working out right like you can't expect to just like go out and be able to run five miles like you have to work yourself up to that kind of Process.
1: I think about when I was teaching, I did a lot of meditation in the classroom and I would tell the children, you don't have to do this. You just have to like, you can't bother other people though. So, like you can just sit and be quiet, which is kind of meditating in itself, but I would <laughs> never tell the kids that. <laughs> And so I would, tr- and I would try to do different things like with sounds. Cause you know, with kids, it's a little more difficult to keep them focused, but I was always so impressed and also almost surprised every time, like within a few weeks there, I, if I were to skip it, they'd say, well, we haven't done our mindfulness. And it was like, oh, so you do like it, even though you fight me against yeah, it. Right? And so, and I think that they're kind of, you know, the windows into what we're all feeling, but don't say. And if you do skip it, it matters. But just to try try to find it in a way that works for you.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, that's amazing you were teaching it. Because I mean, I feel like that's why a big part of why a lot of women deal with such big issues during infertility is because none of us were taught that, right? Mm -hmm. And we just live in this society that's like, I mean, I just think back of when I was doing both of my IVFs. And I was like, what the fuck because it was like I was working a 40-hour work week Uh I was like still trying to keep up all my social engagements my Mm -hmm. gym workout and do IVF on top of that and anyone who's done IVF is that's a there's so many aspects and parts to it and I think because of
1: all of the struggles that I have personally had with it. It was another big reason where I thought, I mean, I loved teaching. I know that I was good at it. I missed the relationships with children and the staff that I worked with, but I felt like it was so draining for me that I was like, I can't continue to show up in a way that I want to. And I felt like my body was starting to show me things. Like I had cold sores like twice a month. It was just almost like clockwork Mm -hmm. and now I don't get them anymore. And I, my periods were extremely heavy and, it was like I had to shut completely down. And now that's not the case anymore. And I think I was doing so much you know, like you were just saying, like adding all those things into my life to where it was like, I need to pick and choose what I think is going to be important and, you know, valuable to me. Not to say the teaching's not valuable because dear Lord, our teachers, amazing creatures. But I was so exhausted by it. It was like, I can't physically do this anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, that's the other thing I tell my clients or anyone that asks is like, you can have the perfect diet, but if you're stressed out, that's right. going to fuck you up.
1: Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I remember I started taking prescriptions for my cold sores and they were working and it was like, oh, okay. But then I remember when I stopped working and I stopped taking the prescription and they weren't showing up and it was like, I don't think I'm fucking stressed. Like, I think that's what's happening is that I'm not like a functioning at like 300% from like eight to 2 PM because that's what I was doing. And then, you know, you just have to clean and get everything ready for the kids the next day. But like you're on such high alert when you're teaching that my body was like, help, help. Like you're not listening. <laughs> We're struggling here. And I was like, no, I'm getting a great paycheck. Please be quiet. Right? It benefits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I need this paycheck uh, to help me pay for all the medication that I need because of this job. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Even though your benefits aren't helping a dime of IVF, (laughs) keep doing this.
0: It's just absolutely insane where we get ourselves to, you know, like how we let this, you know, society almost like brainwash us into thinking that we are actually super overachievers and absolutely amazing because we can work a full time job and do IVF at the same time. It's like, whoa, maybe you wouldn't need IVF if you, you know, re-restructured your
1: life. exactly. You know, I remember, like, going into the bathroom at school and, like, giving myself shots. And it's just Mm such a – I mean, that's – it's needed, and I think people do that, and that's – but you just have to make that decision. But when we lost Clementine, I lost Clementine in May and school was out in June. I, you know, I called my boss and he was like, you're not coming back to, so obviously it was like two weeks of school. I, I didn't come back and was excited to come back the next year because I was in a new grade level and I had some friends on my team and I was looking forward to it. And then in October of that school year, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I was like, I'm out. Like, I, I already know what it's like to show up here really exhausted and sad and trying to be like, Almost like putting, you know, this carry on the shelf while I go to work and then picking it back up when I get off work so I can feel my feelings and then putting it back on the shelf when I go to work. And I didn't want to do that with my mom. I I just feel like I'd already been through so much shit to where it was like, I'm not going to be here. Like, I love you guys. I told my boss, like, I gave, I think I gave him like five days and I was like, I'm out. Like, I can't, I just can't, I just know it. And I almost feel like it was a big push for me to be like what do you want you said you didn't want this but you're still showing up so what's happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah 100% it's it, it's so hard to get away from what you think you know everyone else wants you to commit to and letting uh-huh. those people down but in mm-hmm. reality you are really letting down yourself and your higher purpose of the people mm-hmm. you're really supposed to be helping.
1: Right. And I feel like when you're really honest and authentic with yourself, they'll still show up for you. Like, I'm still very close with my previous principal. Like, cause we're, you know, we had built this relationship because I remember thinking like, I'm going to miss out on all this stuff. Then it was like, no, like good
0: ones are the ones that you that really matter. They'll, they'll still show up. You have done amazingly with what you have had to deal with. Um, I have actually um, one of my bridesmaids had a stillbirth um, and two of our really close friends lost um, their little girls three months after they were born. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people in my life that have dealt with a very great big loss, obviously dealing with miscarriages. You get a, a glimpse into a loss of, you know, that soul. You know, because I feel the more the baby grows, the bigger the soul you feel connected to it. I mean, that's just my personal feeling. That's a beautiful
1: way to put it. I've never really heard it like that, but I like that perspective.
0: Moving forward, was it a difficult process to decide to move forward with continuing to become a parent?
1: No, I kind of knew right away that we were still going to try because we still have two embryos frozen. So we kind of knew right away that we still wanted to at least try to be biological parents. My husband and I are pretty good with establishing boundaries and communicating. Well, I know that I make him work on that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he'd be so open to it. If I wasn't like, let's talk about boundaries. What do you feel about this? I think that with my husband and I establishing really strong boundaries, we kind of knew that since we had two more embryos, we wanted to, try to get our biological children in our lives via this way. And when we decided to do surrogacy and we put it out onto the world, we actually had multiple people offer and step up. And it was, and I remember it was like in November, I want to say we were, I was kind of like, let's look into adoption. And my husband said, I really feel strongly about our last two embryos. And he didn't really feel strongly about many things. So I was like, sure, if this is what you're feeling, but let's give it till like, like, I only want to give like a boundary. on, And then within weeks, someone showed, like people started showing up and it was like, oh, okay, we have options. Let's try this.
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. It is amazing when you put out what you want to the universe, what the universe gives you back and you don't really realize it.
1: I had no idea that anyone would offer, you know, like it didn't feel like that was a thing. And then multiple people and it was like, oh, well, let's start the process.
0: That's amazing. And right now you're in the process and our fingers are completely crossed for you. And we're really excited to just, well, I am following you on Instagram (laughs) to when you're ready, you know, share your experience with surrogacy because a lot of infertility isn't talked about and especially miscarriages and stillbirth and Mm -hmm. surrogacy and all the different ways that are available to us now to become parents and I think it's getting there I think a lot more people are starting to yes I do too
1: but I think I mean personally I think it's just starting to upcome. but maybe I wasn't aware of it I think you mentioned that before maybe I wasn't looking for it before so I didn't see it and I want to acknowledge that but I do see a lot more of it these days.
0: Yeah, definitely. Which is great, because it is something that needs to be talked about. And when women, you know, I feel very honored now that I can share my story, and women can take whatever they want from my story and whatever they want from what I've gained, the knowledge that I've gained, apply Mm -hmm. it to their journey. And, you know, I have people DM me all the time saying, just by doing A, B, and C, I'm pregnant naturally. And it has to do with you just posting your story on Instagram and that, you know, just golden for me. Yeah, you that's know. so
1: powerful. I think that's the beauty of being vulnerable and sharing what your experience is. I think that that's beautiful.
0: Let our listeners know if they would like to connect with you, where they can find you.
1: On Instagram, I'm Blooming with Care, And then I have a website, bloomingwithcare.com, where I write blogs and you can contact me through coaching. And I have some new things coming up soon that should be available probably in the next couple of months, which I'll be sharing. But yeah, and reach out. I chat with everybody. I try to get back to everyone. And I love, love, love connecting with women online that are in spaces that, need to be talked about and shared
0: yeah definitely and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your story on instagram i think you're giving a lot of light out into the world right now
1: thank you and i really want to say i appreciate your support i i'm pretty sure you were somebody that sent me a gift with it (laughs) it was one of the sweetest most beautiful things i feel like that's the beauty of social media and i appreciate your support in that
0: Yeah. I mean, it was the least I can do. We feel it, right? Like, even though I never met you watching your journey and then seeing that heartache was just like, you feel it in your bones, you know, you know, and that's the least we can do for each other when we can is be there. Thank you so much once again for coming onto the podcast and we will stay connected. And thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it.